chapter 1 of Titus, so you can turn there. We're going to tackle two whole verses. As we continue to look at the qualifications for an elder. Um, you mentioned last week and the week before that even though these are the qualifications for an elder, that we shouldn't go, yeah, that's what he's supposed to be like. No, that's what we are supposed to be like. Each of these qualifications and qualities we see in an elder, we go, this isn't supernatural. Well, it is supernatural uh, because the natural man is not going to tend after these things, but they are things, they are manifestations that should be growing out of every Christian here. Um, we looked at how a family gives a hint to the quality of the man and how he loves his wife and how he raises his children. Um, our culture right now is really not very big on you knowing what my private life is. It doesn't matter, is what they will say. What I do in private doesn't matter. God's word goes, yes, it does. Absolutely. I'm reading through uh, uh, this terrible section uh, of David's travails after his sin with Bathsheba. That which he did in private just wreaked havoc on the kingdom afterwards. What you do in private matters. What you do, this is crazy, what you do in private affects me. And what I do in private will affect you. So it does matter. Uh, it does. It does matter. And so, as as our society pushes against that, we need to push back and go. Yes, it does, because who you who you are in private is who you are in public. Unless you're an actor, then you are just playing a role. You are a fragmented man, as opposed to a whole being. There. These are the knots that we looked at. Shouldn't be arrogant. No, he shouldn't be arrogant. What should he be? Humble. Humble. Okay. He shouldn't be quick tempered. What should he be? Patient. Patient. Shouldn't be a drunkard. What should he be? Sober. Sober. Self controlled. Okay, self controlled, temperate, you know, measured, all of those things. Uh, so, uh, I'll sober shorter. But it doesn't just mean he shouldn't not be drunk. There, he should be temperate. Not merely in alcohol. What should he be temperate in? All things. All things. Is, is seeking pleasure evil? No. But if that's your life, you are not measured All I do is go to the movies. 
Well, if you're a movie critic, that might be fine. But if that's your life, you get home from work and turn around and go to the movies and watch three movies that night and come home. You have no existence with human beings. Not good. Violent. Bless you. What should he be? Peacemaker. Peaceful. Yeah, peacemaker. Shouldn't be greedy. For what? Unrighteous gain. Unrighteous gain. We think money. But really, greedy, covetous in anything. What should he be? Content. Content. Great word. What were you going to say? Giver. Giver. Yes, we're stewards. So, to be greedy. So these are the knots there. Ultimately, what we're going to do now is we are going to work into the yeses, the be these things. He shouldn't be these things. He should be these things here. So verse 8. Um, Ty, would you read verse 8, please? But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Good. So the first thing he should be is hospitable. I took advantage of this word this week to teach my daughters about Blue Letter Bible. And because I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar, but there in Logos, and but Blue Letter Bible's free. And it's a great, and I, I go back to Blue Letter Bible all the time because I can look into the roots. I can trace words back and break them apart. And, and what does it mean? And the word is philozenia. So what? But if I go Philo, Phila, Philadelphia, brotherly love, you know, we, we know that, city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, that's what it means. So Phila is love, Xenia, or what if I say you're a xenophobe? You're afraid of aliens, aliens strangers, you know, not Star Trek kind of aliens, but somebody who's not from your country, somebody you're not familiar with. So if you are philozania, you are a lover of strangers. Okay? You are, you go out of your way to make somebody feel welcome there. How would that play out in that culture? Okay, so the church, church especially, man, you've got to cross some boundaries here. Okay, what, what did you say? It was expected that strangers would not stay in an inn, but would be welcomed to people's homes. Right, right. This was huge. Okay, there wasn't a holiday inn back then. Uh, or they were, they were not common. A common place to stay for people. And so when travelers came into town, you saw that, well, you know, he's in the square, kind of just hanging around there, and you go and you reach out to them. So there is that aspect of 
hospitality there. But is that expected also within the church? What does hospitality look like, Sarah? It can look like having people over to eat. Okay. Now, we have somebody over Sunday after church. That's pretty normal. You know, for, for some, that's a stretch to have somebody over. But is that even hospitality? Fellowship. Okay. Yeah? How much deeper can hospitality go? A means to, or a, a way to open the door into somebody's life. Yeah. What's the name of the book? The Gospel Comes with a House Key. The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosario Butterfield. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard enough about it that it makes me uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to read it. Sure. Because God holds me responsible for that stuff, which I know. And she is, she is perhaps the most extreme that I have ever heard with regard to hospitality. That's, your door is essentially open. And you invite people in. And not, not just the people you'd like. Not just your friends from church, but really everybody. Um, you know, whoever wants to come, Shauna on, on her, her coffees on, on Friday mornings uh, may have started out a long time ago with just a few friends, but it's now open to anybody there. Who comes? Anybody. Uh, anybody who wants to. Believers and non-believers. And they come and they bring their kids and the door is open. There, That's hospitality. I, I like my stuff. I like my stuff intact. I like my stuff clean. You know? Um, some people aren't going to treat your stuff well. Oh, but hey, it's not your stuff. Anyway, hospitality. Ooh. You know, so how, how open is my home? How open is my life? Open is my schedule. What are what are American schedules like? Busy. Filled with stuff. With what? A, a status of busy, filled with, with whatever it takes to keep it busy. Filled with hands. You know, not only do I have baseball practice, but I have practice for the practice. I have the all-star traveling practice. No, we're just going to we're going to have batting practice, and then we're going to have uh, fielding practice, and then uh, then we're going to have the real practice. So if you want to come early and really get good, then we're going to have the pre-practice the pre practice. practice. The pre-practice practice. Uh, really? Oh, but then we got, we got, you know, kid plays the instrument, so he's got that, and he's, not only does he practice the instrument, but he's in a band as well, so he's got band practice on top of that, and, and when do we have time to go, how are you doing? To slow down. Or if somebody calls you, I really can't. Well, 
When, when can we get together? July? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's, it's getting to be where we are almost as bad as doctors. You know, you can't get an appointment for tomorrow. I can't see them. You know, maybe, maybe our schedule should be a little less packed. Maybe. And elders is supposed to be. Because he is supposed to be hospitable. Reachable. Accessible. Should you be able to show up on my doorstep and go, hey, can we talk? Yeah. Yes. And if I have given the impression that you can't, forgive me. Because you need to be able to come. You need to be able to call. You need to be able to text. Our six-foot fences don't facilitate that. Him too. Call, text, when, when you need to. If you need to, if you just need to stop by, stop by. You can put Duncan Abbey on hold. Yeah, we can stop our cribbage game. Or maybe you play cribbage. Enjoy that. There. Or I'll teach you, and you'll think I'm lying, but I won't. I'm not. Hospitality. Man, we could. We can do a study on hospitality, what God's word says about hospitality. But we'll move on. Not only should he be hospitable, philozenia, but he should also be philagathos, lover again, a lover of Agatha. Agatha. Agatha means good. So when you hear Agatha Christie, or, it means good, a lover of good. So nothing wacky in the in the Greek there. The KJV. Anybody got a KJV with them? Looking at the KJV right now? It says, lover of good men. Kind of sometimes you scratch your nugget. I don't know. How, how do you get that? Because it doesn't play out that way as you break the word down. It is the lover of good generally and not specifically necessarily good men. So what is good? If he is supposed to be a lover of good, what is good? Good teacher. Was said to one man once, and his response to that person who said good teacher was, Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? What, what then did he say? Only God. There is only one who is good. So God is good. God is the one who is good. God is goodness. All of God is good. Therefore, if that is true, that which corresponds with God is coherent with God is good. That which is aligned with God is good. That which flows out from God is good. You know, it gives the idea of propriety, of things being as they should be, of rightness. So I agree with those things. 
I desire those things. I fill my life with those things. I pursue those things that are good. But what is also implied with if I am a lover of the good, what is also implied in that? At the very least, one who avoids the bad So there is, there is there a discernment. We must be discerning people. We must be thinking people. I must hold things up and go, does this compare? How does it compare? With what God has said. Do I love that? If it corresponds? Or am I following after things that really God does not love? That which is contrary to whom he is. Lover of the good. Any, any comments or questions on that so far? I'm going to just keep tumbling along, so don't hesitate to stick up a paw as we roll here. Uh, notice on the, uh, on the sheet I have self-controlled one, because really we have two words that in some translations could be translated self-controlled, okay? He is a self-controlled man. Now... Breaking this word down, it's, it's essentially a whole mind, a healed mind. Okay, so it's, it's the, the KJV has sober-minded. That would be a good translation of it. The Revised Standard Version, which I'm typically not a fan of, has, has he is the master of himself. He's the master of himself. You know, he knows the right. He's a lover of the good. And to that end, he controls himself. Okay. Um, what is he not controlled by? Everything else. Okay. God bless everyone in the whole world. Okay, let's be specific. What are some things that we can be controlled by? Peers. Okay, peers. <clears throat> Peer pressure at work. You know, am I, am I looking to please man or am I, am I a man pleaser? Am I a God pleaser? Our peers, our friends. You know, I want to look good to my friends, to those I hang with. I don't want to be an outcast. Nobody wants to be an outcast. Nobody goes, oh, I think I'll be an outcast today. They're stupid. But if I go, I love the Lord, and because I love the Lord, I am an outcast. You can shift the table that way some so you guys aren't in each other's laps. Um, if, I, if I love the Lord and am thereby an outcast, that's okay. 
So he's not controlled by others there. What else is he not controlled by? His own desires, his own appetites, okay, which means he's got to control his appetite. What appetite? Maybe he's like, he's sober-minded, he's not dwelling in alcohol. Okay, he's, again, he's got to be not a drunkard, so they're self-controlled that way. What other appetites? Sexual. Sexual appetites there. Let me jump the gun on this a little bit, but with self-control one and then self-control two, could we read this self-control as external forces and the other self-control two is discipline, where you have to know yourself and be disciplined in those things? Um, I almost think that that has more of a sense in this one. Okay. Here, we'll, we'll talk about the, the other one a little bit in a little bit. And, and again, I, I wish... I wish I w was better with Greek to really understand the fullness of Paul's utilization of the words he used here. So you're getting kind of the, the kindergarten, elementary school breakdown of it. So what other, what other uh, appetites? Alcohol... Okay, so that Cars. we typically don't have an appetite for a, a, an innate desire, but money is something we can can, can be controlled by. Okay, food. Food is an appetite. Uh, what was remember what I was saying last night after dinner? I said it about three times. Twenty minutes. Twenty minutes. No, 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 but I wanted to. Oh, it's good. And so I, I sat there and went, I really want more. I want more. I want 20 minutes. 20 minutes for the stomach to go to the brain. Dude, you're full. But if you just go, oh, man, I got more room. And you keep eating and eating. And then 20 minutes later, you're going, what have I done to myself? There. So knowing... What is a reasonable portion? America knows nothing about the reasonable portion. America knows nothing about what will satisfy, I mean, truly satisfy the hunger and the need of the body. And so, you know, we, we, we just keep, we just, our, our appetite is, is, is there. Uh, so th those are, man, those are some, some big ones. You know, the, the sexual appetite, especially for man. Uh, the, the American appetite uh, for alcohol and excess and uh, food. Those are, those are probably the big ones there. Um, should you be controlled by your emotions? I'm angry. Yeah. But I'm angry. Feelings are fickle. How quickly do they change? How? Crazy, crazy. <clears throat> Praise God for our emotions. Praise God for our feelings. Yes. But, oh, man, don't let them steer the cart. They're going to be off-roading, four-wheeling up the hills, down the dales, in the ditches on the road from time to time. No, man. He needs to be master 
of his emotions. That doesn't mean he's steric and dull all the time. He's joyful when he should be joyful. He should grieve when he should grieve. But there, again, there is a propriety there. It's not controlled by these things. Upright. He should be upright. Doesn't mean he shouldn't be laying down. Okay, he's an he's an upright man. The word means upright. Righteous. I mean, he's, 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 a, he's a righteous man. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't merely love the good. He does the good. He doesn't, he doesn't just understand those things that are good and love them. He is a doer of the word. There. He lives the good. That have to do with kind of their standing in society, maybe, or with uh, other people? Does this mean he is sin-free? No, it's absurd. Absurd. But you look at his life and you go, he's a man of character. You know, you go, he he does the right thing. But that it it shouldn't be. Oh, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing so you guys see that I do the right thing. I do the right thing because I love the Lord. That should be why I do the right thing. I mean, it blows. It is a fruit. It is a fruit in his life that he is upright. Because God ultimately is his master and he is the servant, the delighted servant. He is the child who loves to please his father. This is who we should be. It says also he is to be holy. What does that mean? We already said he's not perfect. How is he holy? Set himself apart. He is set apart. For for what? Okay. Yeah, he's set apart to God. He is set apart to God. I used to have a t-shirt that says, I I play for an audience of one. That should be an elder. That should be you. You have one to please. You are to be holy as he is holy. He has called you out of sin. He has done this. And therefore, you also need to, yes, agree with that and do that thing. Set yourself apart as he has set you apart. As he has called you by his name. As he has adopted you into his family. To be holy. You know, as... We, uh, the men are going through the book, The Mortification of Sin, and I cannot, I cannot commend it enough to the church. Because it's, it's, 
It's like, is he ever going to get to how to mortify sin? He just, he waylays you on how much you just play with it. You, you coddle it. We, we, we don't grasp, even if we do, even if I do have a good, solid understanding of sin and the holiness of God, it falls short. I have an understanding of how wicked sin is. I haven't even begun to scratch the depths of the wickedness and the depravity of sin. Only God can. When I, in worship, am awed by the holiness of God, I can't even begin to fathom His holiness. I'm just getting a glimpse of it. I don't see the fullness of it yet. But we are to be holy. We are to really hate the sin in our lives and struggle with it. To defeat it day by day, moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment. He is, last word in verse 8, disciplined. Which also means self-controlled. Okay, self-controlled part two there. Disciplined. Can a man who is a linebacker in the NFL hold his binion? How does what? <laughs> How does he not crush it? Control. He is disciplined. He has a power, but it is absolutely under control. That's the sense of this. A harnessed power. A horse. Anybody ride a horse? Anybody? Anybody good at riding a horse? Okay. Um, could a horse take you wherever it bloody wanted to? Even with the bit in its mouth? Yep, sure can. Could it buck you from here to kingdom come? Yep. And stamp you. Yep. It doesn't, it doesn't want you on its back. You ain't going to be on its back. Okay. So a horse, a broken horse, is essentially harnessed. It is power under control. It is under control of the reins. Okay. So let's, let's talk about this with regard to an elder. What power does an elder have? Social power. Okay. Could be. 
you know, here, it's prestigious. I mean, he's up, he's kind of the over-shepherd of the church. What, what kind of power does he have? I'm sorry? Through his words, what he says, what he preaches. Where do those come from? God. You know, what, what power does it, what, how am I any different from you? I'm not. There's neither Jew nor, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, really. We are all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. As an elder, all I have is a responsibility, a great responsibility, given by God. It's given by God. What authority do I have? God's authority. There. Can I use it as I see fit? Can I, can I be arrogant and quick-tempered? No. No. It must be under control. I've got the Word of God. I've got the Word of God here to teach. Could I bludgeon people with the Word of God? Absolutely. I could be, I could be ugly, absolutely ugly with God's Word. And unloving. To be absolutely true and absolutely unloving. And absolutely contrary to the living God. How is that different from you? It's not. It's not. If you have been called by the living God, you have been adopted as his child, you are therefore his representative here on earth. You are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Every one of you who name the name of Christ. Every one of you. That's a huge responsibility. You have his authority to go and make disciples of all nations. You have his authority to give a reason for the hope that is in you. You have that authority. And you must be disciplined. That doesn't mean you don't. I know how to ride a horse, but I'm just not going <laughs> to. No, you need to get on the horse and ride the horse because it has been given to you to ride. The gospel has been given to you to live. So a pastor cannot be timid. He must speak with the authority of the living God with grace and truth. He must, which is going to take us into this next verse. And this is really, really contrary to the world today. Titus uh, <coughs> 1, 9. Corbin, could you read that, please? Holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort and sound doctrine those who contradict. Great. One little verse. Tons of stuff. Okay. So not only must an overseer have a strength of character 
which we looked at the last three weeks, really. But he must be steeped in God's word. Okay? He must be steeped in God's word. God's word must permeate who he is. Um, so let's, let's, let's break it down. He must hold firm. You ever get up too fast? You go, whoa. What's the first thing you do? Yeah, you want to hold on to something. That's the idea. Man, when you're feeling faint, you want something to push against. Something that you know will hold you up. So the elder must hold firm. To what? Look at the adjective there. The trustworthy word. The trustworthy word. What is implied in that? Okay, it is, yes, it is, it is infallible. It holds up, it's reliable to, for this purpose, the church can lean into it. It's not dependent on us and our leadership to define and carry out and build the church. Good. Historically speaking, could they have had the Gospels by this point written down uh, from Titus, or would they still be... A lot of the word would be Old Testament. Yes, some some of them, uh, I believe Mark, at, by this point, would have been written, perhaps Matthew, John not yet, though John is still alive, and the word is going out verbally at the very least. Because it says, as taught, mm -hmm. at this point, like, which implies they've heard it. Yes. And we're, we're, From we're, direct we're, this is This is, this verse is so rich. I mean, this is why, just when you read through stuff, you... You need to stop sometimes. Even in your own reading of God's word and stop and meditate and think on what is being said here. So, God's word is, is, is trustworthy. For what? Yes. For life. For you. For what? For work. For play. For politics. For economics. All of these things. God's word is trustworthy it will not lead you astray in context okay because you can you can pick and choose you can pluck stuff out of here and come up with some really ugly stuff so you must you must understand so you must be steeped in god's word it is he the the elder should hold fast to the trust Worthy word. God's word declares itself to be trustworthy. And hopefully we've proved it over and over in our own lives, in our own living. Where we see, yes, it is, absolutely. And then, something that might be worth pointing out is it does not change. Like the Constitution and the laws, all the amendments that we make to govern ourselves, we change. It seems almost daily. Mm -hmm. But the word of God is the same. Absolutely. 
And do I adapt it to my culture? People try to. Yeah. We apply it. Thank her. Thank her. Do I adapt it to my culture? <laughs> I've, got to cha- I've got to change it. <coughs> no. I don't change it. It cannot change. But how it affects my culture, it will affect it differently than it has affected other cultures. Because other cultures aren't wrestling with the stuff that we wrestle with today. And so God's word is going to come to bear in its truth, in its absolute truth. There. So the applications that we draw from this truth may differ from the applications, but the applications ought not, cannot, not ought not, cannot be in, in contradiction to God's <coughs> word. Again, loving the good. So we come to, we come to really what, what I, I see as a, a glorious cycle. This is great. This cycle that takes place right here. So he is holding firm to the trustworthy word. And it, was, it was just brought up. I forgot who said it. As taught. He holds fast to the trustworthy word as taught. Well, who are you to teach me? I can just Google it. I hope not. I hope not. And we see here a willingness on the part of, we see the willingness on the the part of Paul to be taught by Aeneas when he came and removed the scales. He was teachable that he went off into the desert for three years to be taught of Christ, by Christ. Okay? To be taught. Titus was taught. Timothy was taught. The disciples were taught. By whom? Jesus. Yes, I can Google things. And in a way, I put myself under the teaching of whoever I just Googled. But God has given us the church right here for teaching. The fact that you guys are sitting here, you are putting yourself under my teaching. And so, but my teaching needs to correspond. Again, the correspondence is right here. Here is the, here is the scale by which I measure what is coming out of my mouth or his mouth or my father's mouth or my mother's mouth or my friend's mouth. There. So, if I am willing to be taught, there has to be a, a submissiveness to me, a willingness to be under the tutelage of another. Am I, am I willing for that? Am I, will I go to a man and go, I, I need guidance. I need spiritual guidance. Because I'm just kind of bobbing on the ocean and I've really got no direction. Okay? And so I'm, I'm willing to be put under another man for a time. You know, it, it goes back to the whole hospitable thing. Are we open for that? Are we free to that? Are you open for that? 
Because really it gets to the, the next point. He holds firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Why? So that he can turn around and do the same thing. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. This is, this is key to, to Paul's letter here to Titus. He put him on Crete to appoint elders. To do what? To teach correctly, accurately the word of God. You know, each of us in the church are taught how we ought to be. But it shouldn't just end with that. Well, okay, now I know how to live my life and I go and I leave and I live my life. No, I should then be plowing into others. I got two sitting right there. There, some of you got them up in the nursery. I mean, this is, that's, this is how it works at work. The old guys teach the young guys. That's the best way. The veterans teach the rookies. That's the best way. But it's true in the family. It's true in the church. It's true in our communities. Really, you, you hear it. You hear it in the church that everyone should have a Paul who is plowing into my life. Now, who do I have who's plowing into my life? And I should have a Timothy, or in this case, a Titus, to whom I am plowing into their life. Okay, I gotta find myself a Paul, I gotta find myself a Timothy. No, it it should be a natural thing, it should be a desire. It should be a desire really on the part of all of us. It should take care of itself. You know, it should be something I seek out and, and I want. To be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. That word sound, as we read through, and hopefully you've, you've read through Titus, that word pops up all over the place. Sound. You know, a baseball bat. You know, did you ever see a baseball player, after he foul tips a ball, he'll knock it on the plate? Yeah, he knocks the dirt off his cleats, but sometimes he knocks it on the ground. You know what he's doing? Yeah, how do you know if a bat's cracked? Huh? It makes a different sound. Yeah, this is, this is, there's a vibration to it. You go, this is not sound, man. If I take the next swing, it's going to splinter. Okay? Um, so you, you test for soundness. And this, that word is going to crop up in the, again in this chapter and twice right at the start of chapter 2. Soundness. There needs to be a wholeness in the teaching. How, what is sound doctrine? That which is in, with, in accord with God's word. Sound doctrine isn't though the end. I can have all the sound doctrine in the world and be a clanging symbol because I have not love. I need to care about you. Sound doctrine is great, but really there has to be a care. Last thing, I'll cover this this, uh, briefly. Um, He needs to be able to rebuke. The elder must rebuke. The elder must rebuke. 
Not all ideas are good, equal, and valid. And so the man of God must say, that is wrong. In grace and truth, that is wrong. That is heresy. Okay, that's a, that's a, I'm, I'm not going to drop that card all the time. I can't drop the card all the time. And if I do, then I need to have somebody get in my face and go, you really can't drop that card all the time. Because not everything is heresy. That is unwise. Ooh, there's a good word. You might want to rethink that based on what God's word tells us. But he is here to rebuke those who contradict what? Sound doctrine. Who contradict the word. He ought not apologize. I'm really sorry. No. I need to do this. You're wrong. I may grieve to say that. But I, I don't need to be apologetic. Like, oh, I'm sorry I stepped on your toes. No, I'm glad I stepped on your toes. It's necessary. Does the surgeon go, I'm really sorry I did open heart surgery on you? No, of course not. Does he know it's going to hurt? Yes. For a long time. But it's necessary. It's needful. And we need to, brothers and sisters, be able to rebuke those who contradict God's word. They are believers, okay? Believers who are contradicting God's word. You know, if an atheist contradicts God's word, I expect it. He's acting of his own nature. But if a believer, somebody who calls himself a brother in the Lord, either part of this church or at the fire station or at my work or whatever, is missing the mark, he's off-roading, I need to talk to him and bring him back on the road. I'm not talking to him just a, oh, I'm hyper-spiritual and you're just a slug. No. No. My desire is for him to be in accord with God's word. A lover of the good and self-controlled, and he is not in this case. All right, the takeaways real quick. How will you discern the health of your character? How will you discern the health of your character? As you do that, what will you do to strengthen your character in Christ? These are some questions maybe to take home with you. What is, third thing, what is your regimen for establishing yourself in sound doctrine? What are you doing to learn and understand the truths of God's word? The big truths of God's word. The last one, from whom are you learning? And whom are you teaching? I'm Pat.